My name is Valdor Kauham. Um, I'm uh, speaking with a German accent to sound more sophisticated. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, seriously, I'm excited to be here. This is a class about missions. And uh, I have been working as the uh, uh, president of the European Mission Society for 15 years now. So I can uh, represent a big and complicated mission field. Uh, and then uh, I'm really honored and uh, excited to have uh, three uh, amazing disciples share. Uh, first, Sean, Sean Wooten. I don't have to introduce him. He's a missionary of missionaries, moved into the mission field, is a full-time missionary uh, for many, many, many years. Um, lives in a place that a lot of people consider very dangerous and not very healthy to live in. Uh, and uh, I want to say more about him when uh, we transition. And then Chris and Anastafian um, uh, really coming, so to speak, from the other side of the spectrum, having become uh, part-time missionaries uh, for a good number of years now, really serve in Eastern Europe and have made a huge impact already. A very different story from Sean and Lena Wooden, um, but uh, we felt uh, these are two excellent bookends of examples of how um, we, you and I, uh, can think about serving in the mission field. And there's a lot in between uh, so to speak. Uh, you'll hear, or we have structured the session into four segments. I'll do a, a short teaching uh, from the Bible uh, just to, to ground us uh, biblically. Then Sean will share about uh, his life as a missionary. Then part three is Chris and Anastafian will talk about their experience and what they do. And then uh, if we are reasonably disciplined, we'll have plenty of time for questions and discussion afterwards. So please um, uh, keep, your, keep your questions, if you have them already, uh, or as they arrive, for, for the end. I think we should start with a prayer. Amen. Father God, it is uh, amazing that we call you, that we can call you our Father, that we are your children, Father, and that you... Give us lives, Father, that as we heard this morning, we can live being made in the image of you. And Father, we come before you humbled and realizing that and recognizing that we so often are just not like you. And uh, that uh, we are fallen human beings as well. And yet at the same time, Father, your, your grace and your mercy is unlimited and uh, new every morning, and we thank you for that. Father, we thank you that you give us lives that have a purpose, Father, lives that make a difference. And uh, Father, we pray in a special way right now that you would speak to each one of us individually, whatever you want to tell us, whatever the Holy Spirit has to say as a result of uh, even the next uh, 40, 50 minutes, Father. We pray that, Father, you... You would see our faith and you would reward our faith and uh, that you would help us, Father, to grow in our faith. We love you, Father. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I titled my little introduction, Don't Waste Your Life. 
Um, it's the title of a book by John Piper. It's a very readable book, but uh, I'm not sharing much out of his book, so I'm not giving his book away. But I like the title, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. Um, I, have, uh, I have, as I said, lived for now 15 years, almost 100%, it was gradual, but 100% doing ministry. And I, I, I don't want to give you any impression that you have to wait until you are uh, at the place where you can be a full-time minister to not waste your life. Uh, uh, you can waste your life. I can waste my life as I sit here or as I stand here right now. And I, I just think it's a very, a very sobering topic for us disciples who live in a place that is rich, rich materially, that is rich um, in terms of peace and prosperity, that is rich with peace, and it is also rich when it comes to uh, spiritual uh, to the spiritual world, although I think it's highly misleading. Uh, but we live in a country that is one of the most Christian countries in the world, and we are not getting persecuted here, which is good, but which also can make it a little more difficult to see the world as it really is. I want to read a parable from Jesus and use it as a background. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, it's the the parable of the talents, also the parable of the entrusted money. And um, um, we know the parable well. I read it carefully. It's one of the parables that has made the biggest difference in my life. Uh, I used it quite a bit to teach my boys to, to, to be diligent in doing their homework um, and things like that. And after a little while, I thought... Uh, Valdo, what about you? In what ways does this parable apply to you? And I'll, I'll share that with you in a moment. But let's just read it in verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who, gained, but the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know, of course, we, we know that scripture really well and we know what Jesus tried to say. Jesus told many, many parables. And we have to be a little careful when we interpret Jesus' parables that we don't go overboard, that we don't interpret things that maybe Jesus didn't want to say. So I'll try to be very careful with them, uh, with that. But it's pretty clear uh, that the one interpretation is the master is Jesus, the master is God, the servants is you and me. The master, God has given us talents, talents in terms of gifts, skills, experiences, whatever it may be. It's way, way more than money. This is not about money. This is about our lives. God has given us our lives. And we are stewards of our lives. We're not just stewards of our money. We are stewards of our lives. And God has given us our lives for a purpose. And... We are all a little different. We are not all the same. Everybody is different. But the principle applies to everyone the same. Some of us have received one talent. Some of us have two. Some of us have five. But the principle is the same for all of us. And then there will be accountability. The master will come back one day. And there will be accountability. And the judgment seems clear. It's the one or the other. There is not a B or a B plus or a C. There is A or F. There is, yep, good and faithful servant, lazy and wicked servant. The response to the two faithful servants is exactly the same. The one had more than double of the other, and yet the response is exactly the same. That's a very traditional interpretation of this parable, and it is true. It is a good interpretation. And you and I have to think about, so what do we do with the gifts that we have? And there's probably nobody sitting in this room who does not use at least some of the gifts that he has or she has received. For God. There is another interpretation which if you carefully read is highly likely too. Because the master is a businessman 
who is actually fairly ruthless. It's a ruthless businessman. If you read Jesus' parables careful, there are characters in Jesus' parables that are, that are approved by God, but are not necessarily perfect, right? The, the parable of the shrewd manager. We scratch our head and say, what in the world is that? Why, why would Jesus commend that manager? Well, that has to do with the fact how parables work. Jesus wants to make a point with that parable and not 27 and a half points. He wants to make typically one big point and say, pay attention to that point. That's what I want to say to you. I think what Jesus says here is more than I just explained. The businessman he talks about is a ruthless businessman. If you want to have 100% return back then of your investments... You have to be ruthless. That's, that's way, way, way more than a typical, honest, working businessman would get. And the one servant says it to him. He says, you have, not, you have gathered where you have not sown. He said to him, I knew you are a hard man. I knew you are a hard-driving businessman. I knew that you are ruthless. And I was afraid of you. Jesus does not approve improper business practices with this parable. That's not what this parable is about. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about that we should be risk-taking with all of our lives. The one servant, he got afraid. He said, ooh, he'll come back and he'll not be happy. And by the way, I'm also lazy. I don't want to do it. And he put his one talent away. What Jesus tried to say with this parable, the kingdom of God is such that you and I give it all, everything. And yes, it is risky. It is very risky. The master will come back and, and, and it's risky that I have not done what I could have done. Do you think that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was risky to go into the fire? Do you think that was risky? Do you think it is risky to live the life of a disciple? And that's why I think the problem often comes in, especially when it's about mission. It is not good enough. To give a missions contribution every year. Yes, please give your missions contribution. Please do. Please do. Please do. Do it every year. Give it to the EMS. It's a good thing. But that's not. That's not using all your talents for the mission. What Jesus teaches here. He says live your life in a way that all five talents that I have given you. You use for my purposes. All two talents that I have given you. Use it for my purpose. And you have to figure that out yourself. Because the person. The servant with the five talents. Had a different thought process to go through. Than the servant with the two talents. Realize that the person with the five talents. Didn't say. I take two of my five talents. And give it. Invest it. On behalf of my master. He took all five. And the person with the two talents took both. And the 
one way, the only one, interestingly enough, is the one who didn't use it at all. How are you using your talents that God gave you? I believe I have wasted my time, I have wasted my life when I didn't give it all. And don't hear me say you have to go into the full-time ministry. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you and I, we are wasting our lives, the talents that God has given us, if we are not willing to give them all. Put everything on the table. Your time, your money, your job, your ambitions, your family, your marriage. It all belongs on the table of the gifts. But you ask the question, in what ways can I use this for the kingdom of God? Are you wasting your life? The clock is ticking. This is not something we have a lot of time to think about. The clock is ticking. Nobody knows how much time you and I have. Use your life. Use all of your life for God. You know, Sean and Lena Wooten decided early in their lives to give it all to God. You cannot be more radical, in my mind, than to go and move to Kiev of all places. In the neighborhood of the place where Chernobyl exploded, where it's unsafe to live, the water is polluted, the air is polluted, the number of deaths in the church as a result of uh, the accident is still significantly higher than anywhere else. I had people who didn't want to go to a meeting in Kiev because they felt it was unsafe. I want you to listen to John Wooden as he explains how he uses his talents for God's kingdom. Um, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon. Um, let me get this started real quick. Hopefully it'll work. Is there anything up on the... Yeah. Is it turned on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Valder. Um, <clears throat> actually, Valder helped me. Uh, I'd, I'd use all 10 minutes to explain how much Valder's helped me, but uh, there was a moment when uh, I had actually decided to kind of get out and throw in the towel. And uh, I'm sure all of us have had our moments where we thought we might need to get out or throw in the towel. And uh, Valder was uh, there for me at that moment in my life, and that was a parable he used uh, to really help encourage me to, to give my whole heart again. So the Bible, it, it always works, Amen. Uh, we're going to talk about missions. I'll show a couple photos real quick. It's great to be here. I got in like 13 hours ago um, after being in a plane in uh, different places for 29 hours. That's how long it took to get here. But it's great to be here. 
uh, at Thrive and to see you and to get to spend time with you. And uh, also, it's a, it's a mega blessing to get to teach with Valder and Chris. Um, just a couple of slides. So, uh, this is my family. Uh, it's my wife, Linda. She was the 104th baptism of the Moscow Church. Um, she dropped out of the Harvard of the Soviet Union to go to Kiev with me on a mission team. Uh, so she was in her junior year of getting her law degree, and uh, she just dropped out and decided that it was more important to her to go and uh, help uh, the Ukraine than to stay in college. So I'm very proud of my wife. Uh, that's my awesome son, Andrew, and my awesome daughter, Diana. Uh, so they uh, were born in Moscow. They're half American, half Russian, live in the Ukraine. So when people ask where I'm from, I just say planet Earth. It's just easier to describe it that way. Uh, but they're an awesome family, and uh, they've been real troopers as we've uh, been on the mission field now their entire lives. Uh, this is Eastern Europe. Uh, the bluefish uh, represent places where we have full-time leadership leading churches. Uh, the orange fish is where we have some Christians, awesome-hearted Christians, but they're waiting for people to come over and give more support to them. And, and if you add up the population of this area, it's 271 million people. Uh, so more, a little more than half the United States of America is in this part of the world. Um, that's 20 different countries with 20 different languages and 20 different nationalities. Um, actually, more nationalities. Uh, and uh, it's a very diverse part. Now, if you watch uh, action movies or spy movies, it's usually from this country we're going to blow up the world or we've kidnapped the president's daughter or something. So that's how you know our part of the world from the best, most likely. Um, but we're not even close. You know, it's, it's awesome that we do have churches in our fellowship really all over the world in lots of countries. But we're not even close to evangelizing the world. Um, not even close. Um, there's 5,000 people at this conference. Uh, there's 3,500 Christians over that entire area. Um, you know, we can drive within two hours from this place and be in the radius of probably eight to 10,000 Christians. Um, you can drive, you can fly for hours uh, and not find more than 10 or 15 Christians. So we, we desperately need, uh, the mission field is, some people think, ah, all the churches have been planted, the mission field's kind of closed, I guess I missed my window. Not true. Not true. We, we haven't even started uh, evangelizing some of these countries. Uh, we're barely surviving in, in some of these countries. And the training that God has blessed you with uh, thanks to you being born in the United States and being in such mature, incredible churches. Um, I know all of our churches have our challenges, but the training you have goes so far beyond uh, the training of most of uh, the average Christians receive in these countries. We are first-generation Christianity. There is no Christianity before we move there. Uh, it, it just didn't exist. Um, you know, so this is, this is the church planning in Kiev. Um, you know, I, I was an atheist, um, a very devoted atheist, uh, but then I got reached out to in a, in a miraculous way, in my mind anyways, and uh, Mark Templer studied the Bible with me, um, and I became a Christian, and uh, after the second Bible study, when I was studying the Bible, I started to pray and dream of going on a mission team. Um, I came back from the discipleship study, Mark asked me how I'm doing after this study, I said, I think I'm doing well, I'm going to quit my job on Wall Street, and I want to go on the mission field. And he's like, I don't remember that being one of my points. So how'd you draw that conclusion? And I was like, if this is true, if this is really true, if really the, I just didn't know this. Nobody, I've been around Christians my entire, nobody showed me this. 
I'm just immediately assuming nobody I know or love knows any of this, or they would have taught this to me. In every little church I've visited my entire life, nobody ever knows it there because they would have taught this to me. And I said, if if I could do this full time, if I could say to somebody, like you said to me, and then they would want to go to heaven like I now want to go to heaven. That's what I want to do. That became my dream. And I started to pray that God would send me on a mission team. And I remember uh, getting invited to move to on the mission team to Kiev. You know, the Moscow church was planted in 91. 850 baptisms the first year of the Moscow church. That's just a lot of baptisms. And uh, they wanted to get out to the entire Soviet Union before all the, the religiosity drifted into the Soviet Union. So they brought over 10 more Americans so that they didn't gut the Moscow church as they sent out Nova Siberia, St. Petersburg, and Kiev. So I got invited to go on the Kiev team. And I was, I remember I was sitting in the car and it was with Kip. And Kip said, you, are, you know, I would like to invite you to move to Kiev. And I was like, Ukraine. I was like, that would be awesome. I had no idea where Kiev, Ukraine was. Like, I had to go... Got to go home and look that up. Where is that exactly? I just wanted to go somewhere, right? And he could see my naivety, uh, joy, that this is going to be so much fun. And he turned and he looked at me and said, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, until death do you part. So this isn't a vacation. This isn't an experience to come home. We need people who will literally go and if the whole nation goes upside down and everyone gets arrested or if there's a coup or whatever happens, we stay. We don't go home. And there was the coup. If you remember the beginning of the Moscow church, there was a coup. Every denomination left except ours. We were the only American Christians that stayed. And the parents were calling like, when is my kid coming home? They're not. The coup was over in three days. We actually baptized people every single day of the coup. And then the entire mission field was cleaned off. It was just us. God tested us and God used it. But real Christianity, you don't worry about your safety. Jesus obviously clearly didn't come to the, to the world to worry about his safety. He was doing much better before. Um, so God blessed me. He gave me a chance to be on the mission team. The first, maybe the first period of time just filled with arrogance and pride, and I didn't do well spiritually, and it wasn't pretty, and it was ugly. But God humbled me, and thank God I repented, um, was able to stay. And that's the key of church when we planted it. That's the key of church today. And uh, that's encouraging uh, that, uh, you know, God works through us if we'll sacrifice. And give our lives to Him. Amen? I just want to share one biblical idea and uh, then I'll finish up. Um, Sometimes people say, Sean, should I be a missionary? Um, I think the answer is yes. Now, it doesn't matter geographically where you are, you are a missionary. Geography doesn't make you into that person. Uh, You have to decide today that you're going to be a missionary. You're not from Boston. You're not from New York. You are not of this world. You are not from America. You're not. And I'm not from the Ukraine, Russia, America, or wherever else. I am from the kingdom. I'm from his 
nation, his government, his leadership. I represent him here on earth. So I am a missionary no matter where I am. And you guys have the hearts of wanting to be a missionary, and you are right now. And praise God for you, thank God for you. Continue building your mission, your life work as you reach out. But there is a lack of equal see, uh, you know, my English, I've got to get back to English. I haven't been in English for a while. But there is not, a, there's no, the scales are not balanced. The amount of Christianity and Christians and leadership and, and strength in the United States, it, it far outweighs the rest of the world. Um, because of that, I felt also called to go somewhere else. Of course, there's thousands and millions of people in my hometown that needs to be saved, and I could devote my whole life to that, and God will embrace me and kiss me and say, faithful, I'm proud of you, you've been a great servant. But there's, there's areas that need people to go. You know, I, I talked with a brother who used to be a surgeon in the Cambodian hospital, and he was a very famous surgeon from Australia. Um, and uh, I asked him, so what's it like living in Cambodia? What's it like being a doctor there? And he said, well, if I was a doctor in Australia, maybe I'd save someone's life today, but if I wasn't there, there would have been 10 other doctors that could have saved his life too. But when I come to Cambodia and I, I do a, an operation, he would have died. If I wasn't there, there is nobody that could do it. So I don't know if it's your calling or not. If it is your calling, there is nobody else. If you can go, if you can do it, um, there is nobody else. God, if God is calling you, then fight through and, and go where God is calling you or the doors open. Um, just a couple verses that I'll just share that I hope can encourage some of you guys. He chose you in Him before the creation of the world. Do not doubt that God can use you. He knit you together while you were still in the mother's womb. You're handmade. You're carrying the Holy Spirit of God. The Ark of the Covenant and all the temple, it's all inside of you. There's nothing God could not do through you. Amen? We can lack faith. We can lack confidence. I, I can't learn a foreign language. My English is a disaster. I butcher the Russian language. I'm not even going to try and learn Ukrainian right now. I'm not gifted in this area. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a gifted speaker. You can learn, God can make you into the person you need to be. Amen, church? Uh, second thing, for many are invited, but few are chosen. We're invited into the kingdom. God chose you, but you have to choose to be chosen. The wedding clothes thing. The guy got in the wedding, but he didn't put on the wedding clothes, which is the tradition. Everyone puts on. If you don't choose to be chosen, then you're not chosen. God chose you. Do not doubt it for a second. Now the question is, will you choose to be chosen? And that's on, that's on us, as Valder was saying as well. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you can or that you have, cannot be my disciples. Sometimes people ask me, what do you think? Should I, should I do this? Should I, should I, sad? this would be a big sacrifice. I was like, well, dude, that decision was already made at the water baptism. You already gave up everything. Amen. I'm not quite sure what we're discussing. You already decided Amen. to give it all up. It's not like being a missionary is like an extra step higher of our Christian. That, that decision to become a Christian is the most radical thing you've ever decided. Going on a mission team isn't half as radical as your decision to be a disciple. 
being a disciple is the most radical thing you've ever done in your life. And praise God. Amen. We end up in heaven because of that. That's awesome. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? I think um, if you're willing to suffer, God will use you in a great way. I don't think it can be done without suffering. Um, I helped uh, several people become a Christian the first uh, time when we went on the mission team. But I think I got rejected at least a hundred times a day for almost 20 days in a row before I met one open person. That's a lot of rejection. Now then you get the video of the guy who gets baptized you think, wow, I want to move to Ukraine. It's awesome. Everybody's open. The amount of fasting, I, I, there's, there, a month doesn't go by that I don't fast at least 10 days. The amount of fasting, the amount of prayer, the amount of sacrifice, the amount of all in. But you have to want to suffer. To live that inconvenient, uncomfortable life. But then it brings great fruit. Amen, church? You know, I wanted to, my dream in my life was to somehow impact the world, change the world. And, the world has a group of people who, who try and do that, right? Like the G20 and the G8. Now it's G7, I think. Um, G whatever, okay? Let's call it the G whiz. I don't know. But if you're the CEO of Apple and Facebook, or if you're the president of a country, or you're, you're a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and they bring all these great minds together and all these incredibly talented people together who dream to change the world, and year after year, they never come up with really anything that changes the world. There was a G12. In the G12, nobody holds a light to the G12. If your dream is to change the world, if you want your life to have an impact, then when you go down and you finish, you think, my life changed the world. Then another degree, or opening up another company, or becoming the president or the governor or the senator of your nation... That's not the way to go to change the world if you really want to change the world. If you really want to change the world, bear down on the the Word of God and start imitating these people as much as you possibly can. And you will absolutely have a world-changing impact with your life. Amen? These are missionaries training in the School of Missions in Kiev. Awesome group of Ukrainians, but we could use some people who aren't Ukrainians. I love Ukrainians, amen? But we need a diversified group to, to strengthen the churches in Eastern Europe. We need, we need more people from around the world to dream to go into the ministry, to train in the ministry, so they can go and plant churches. This is the current makeup. But I'm starting to pray that before I go, it's going to look like this. It's time to saturate these nations. And America could launch it. There's the money here, there's the spiritual depth here, there's the resources, there's faith. You have natural faith that some people don't even understand how you have that faith. And we can launch that and change the world. Amen? If anything, please pray for me and my wife. Pray for uh, this part of the world. You may be from a different part of the world that inspires you to think this way. But I do think we need missionaries um, who will buy the farm. We'll just say, it's going to be my life work to live, give, and die. And I'm going to be buried in this part of the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. You don't get a lot of amens when you talk about getting buried, but amen. (laughs) 
I do love you guys, and it's such an honor to be with you. Thank you for sending me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for praying for us. Um, it's great to be able to share. And right now, Chris and Anne are going to come up. And I want to say one word here about Chris and Anne. God has blessed the Wootens uh, with an incredible relationship with the Estathians. And I got to reach out to their daughter before she uh, uh, became a Christian. And their son, Chris, the reason I had heard of their family is because Chris, for his birthday and Christmas present, said, uh, um, Dad, for, for Christmas and birthday, all I want is some cash so that I could give more money to special missions contribution. He was 12. So when I came to Wooster, I made a beeline to meet the boy who wanted for his birthday and Christmas uh, money to give to special missions. And uh, Chris and Ann, uh, I've for years hoped and prayed and begged for them to move to our part of the world. And it's incredible to see how God's using them now um, as they are spending chunks of their time now that they've retired just strengthening the churches um, in Eastern Europe. And they're not the only ones doing that now. And they're going to share a little bit more about the other way that you can serve on the mission field. Um, but they're an amazing couple, and they're going to share now. So, It's great to be with you um, right now, and I know that you're all feeling inspired by the great lesson that we've had so far uh, and dreaming about your own life. I think that Ann and I may be very similar in our lives and background as to many of you who are in the class. Um, we were both baptized in the campus ministry a few years ago. And um, I, re- I remember when I was baptized, I was so excited to be a part of this kingdom. I was excited. I, I went to church every day, literally. We had brothers' lunch every day. And I, I just couldn't get enough of the kingdom. It was awesome, loving. You got to see God work. We were having baptisms, every, a couple of baptisms every week. And it was just like, wow, I get to be a part of this. So immediately I wanted to be uh, in the ministry. And we had a campus ministry training program, so I signed up. You're supposed to be invited. I wasn't invited, but I signed myself up. And I went through that for three years. It was great. Um, at the end of the three years, I did not go in the ministry. I was the only one in the class that didn't go. But that was just God saying, you know, that's not the right time. So quickly after that, I moved to Boston. I heard about the mission teams going out. And uh, there was a Greek a team going to Athens, and I'm Greek. And I said to myself, this is a shoe-in. And um, so I went to the devotionals. And I think everyone at the devotionals went except me. And, uh, and uh, it was disappointing. You know, I was discouraged. I felt like, you know, the unwant, the, the kid that's never picked on the kickball team. Um, but, you know, brothers helped me. They said, you know what? God does have a plan for you. You can, be, you can support here. You've got a job. You can make money. We need money. So just, you know, do your part. And I really got behind that and uh, started working. Then in 1987, I got married to Ann. Everything changed. I was happy. I wasn't worried about the mission team anymore. I was just, thank you, God, that you blessed me with a fantastic wife. So we had kids, and life was great. And um, then to go forward to 2005, um, Sean came to Worcester on a Wednesday night to speak. And that, from that point on, that really changed our whole family, my daughter, who drug me up from the back row of church. We have to go meet that guy after he spoke, my 15-year-old, 14 or 15-year-old daughter. And then uh, Ann's going to share kind of from there on. 
So it's a, it's a great privilege to be with you and to share our story. Um, we are part of the Worcester Church, and um, God, through a very amazing, um, uh, amazing events, connected Worcester to the church in Tirana, Albania. Um, there's a lot of Albanians in Worcester. And so Chris and I had an opportunity to um, go there first in around 2005, um, and that was when I said yes before my frontal lobe kicked in, and I said no. That was our one of our that was our first experience um, overseas, but uh, and we had have had other opportunities since then. But then we met Sean, and uh, he and Lena kept saying, "Come, come to Kiev, come to Kiev." So uh, we took our kids um, on uh, you know February vacation in New England. They were in high school. We spent a week um, in Kiev, and a year and a half later. We spent. We took our family and spent the entire summer there, um, and it was it was amazing. Um, we were able to travel with the Wootens and visit the church in Zagreb, Croatia, and also in Budapest that year. And I think after that summer, I I started to understand what Sean was talking about that kind of inequality. I thought, wow, like we have a lot of marriage retreats, parenting things, Bible talk leaders workshops. And here we were able to share, you know, just kind of some of the things that we knew with people that didn't have those opportunities. So I think it gave us like a little taste and some experience. And the Wootens kept encouraging us, encouraging us, um, come to Eastern Europe. So... Um, this kind of married with Chris's dream to retire early um, kind of put us into a position uh, where we're living this kind of amazing dream um, over the past couple of years. Um, so we both retired at the end of 2014, and now we're spending um, three months of the year, not all at one time, um, in some of the small churches in Eastern Europe. Um, we visit Bucharest, Romania. Uh, we visit Istanbul, Turkey, which it's a good thing the map was there. I had to look on the map. Where is it? How do you spell it? Um, when Sean asked us, when, that was the first place we went after we retired. We're like, where is this place? Um, so we, we visit there. We visit Zagreb, Croatia. We visit Tirana, Albania. And um, I just can't tell you the amazing feeling to have family now in all those different places like just an amazing connection it's a um it's a it's a blessing amen um and so that's kind of our story of how we got to eastern europe Okay, so I, I want to share, I just want to share one, like a, something that happened, a, a story to, um, just to kind of give you a little picture of, of what we do over there. Um, when we went to Istanbul, they wanted us to do a marriage enrichment night. So we thought, okay, so we prepare, and um, we go to the church building, and there's a couple of, several, two, just two married couples in the church, that's it, and us. And each of those couples brought a friend, and there were a few sisters with non-member spouses. 
So we're ready. We have some nice snacks. And the lights go out. And we're like, it was dusk, so it wasn't like blackness. But one of the brothers went to buy candles. And by the time he came back, (laughs) he came back, like everybody's smelling this burning electrical smell. And we're evacuated from the building because there's a fire in the basement. So I'm thinking, okay, well, God just doesn't want this to happen tonight. But that's not what the disciples were thinking. They're like, no, let's go down to the coffee shop. So our parade of people walks down to the coffee shop down the street. We go in. People buy their drinks and desserts, only to find that we don't fit in that coffee shop. So the entire parade of people goes out and goes to the next coffee shop. There's a lot of coffee shops in in Istanbul. Um, And so we find a place. We're occupying a long table directly in front of the sliding doors that go into the smoking section of the restaurant. So by, by now, um, it's more than an hour past when we thought we would start. We were supposed to finish. We were supposed to finish. And so this, was, this is our audience, and we're supposed to teach about marriage without talking about Jesus with a single brother translating for us. So it's just, I mean, it, I never sweat so much in my entire life, nor prayed so much. And I, I think we're, we're learning that you have to be flexible, you have to adapt, because things, they just don't usually go the way that you think they're going to go. And uh, there's meant, you know, we have other funny stories about that, but I think this... Um, if you bring with you flexibility, adaptability, you learn to speak a few words, you try your hardest, um, you um, gracefully accept amazing hospitality, you, have, you exercise a lot, a lot, a lot of humility because mm. you don't know what in the world you're doing there, you get used to being lost, you get used to asking for directions. And uh, we work really hard at remembering people's names, their kids' names, what they like to do, what they like to eat. I take a lot of notes. I bring my notebook Tons with me. Of notes, yes. um, and I think we just have really fallen in love with mm. uh, these people, um, these brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Are we, are we okay on time? Should we? One last thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, two. We, we have just um, the incredible privilege uh, today of having John Imes here. He's right here. You can stand Woo! up. John. And we want to share about John and Michaela for just a, a couple of minutes. Uh, two years ago at the REACH conference, John came up and he said he'd heard about what's going on in Eastern Europe. And he says, how can Michaela and I help? It's really on our heart. We want to help. And we said, how about Sophia? Would you like to help Sophia? And he said, is that a woman? And I said, no, it's a, it's a city. And he's like, where's that city? And, uh, but he was really on his heart to do it. So he went home. We had Skype call. He and Michaela met the brothers and sisters, the 11 disciples and Sophia. They started talking on the phone practically every week. And then like eight or nine months later, he and Michaela decided to take three weeks of their vacation 
and spend it there. They'd already built relationships. Now John and Michaela are like the mom and the dad of the Sophia Church. They're so dear to them. They're asking them for advice and input. It's almost like we have instant elders in the Sophia Church just because of the heart that they poured out, the money. You know, it's not cheap. It's five grand to go over there and spend a month. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, But the time and the heart that they put in and the people there know they're really invested. They're, they're like spending their own money. They want to be with us. They want to know us. They want to help us evangelize our country. And then these crazy people, John and Michaela, came back home, and they're now so in love with Bulgaria, they looked in the Internet or wherever you look, and they found the local Bulgarian club in Raleigh, North Carolina. They're, now they're honorary members because they're so thrilled that they like Bulgarians. They invited them in. They feed them. They teach them to dance. They give them the drinks. And now they're part of the Bulgarian club, and now they have a whole group of people now they can share their faith with in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's so incredible the way that God works when we give our hearts to a nation or to a country or to a people. Because God wants those people to be saved more than we do, way more, and he just opens up the doors and the opportunities for us to be able to reach them. So I just wanted to tell you guys about them because I hope afterwards, if you're interested, talk to John also because the last two years... He's really been pouring his heart into Sophia Bulgaria. Yes, they both work full-time. John's a Ph.D. guy at the EPA. I don't really understand what he does because it's hard to understand. But they're they're an amazing couple. She's a school teacher. Amazing couple. Thank you for letting us speak. Comments, questions to any of us, anything that you want to know about. about. How much of the language, uh, if you don't speak the language, uh, are the people there speak English or some people? It's a huge benefit for us, you, to invest in time to learn the language. Valder shared that with me like 10 years ago. I'm horrible in language. I'm still working on my native language. But they, most of the people in Bulgaria, like where John is, they speak English. And it's the common language in Europe, country to country. And, you know, I would say this. Some, some of us have the gift of languages. Some of us don't. Yeah. Uh, you have the gift of language if you can learn a second language. Some people can learn 15 languages. I'm talking about speaking two languages in such a way that you can study the Bible with somebody. Yeah. Uh, if you have the gift of languages, that is a sign from God that you should use that. Amen. From a mission society's perspective, we are not sending full-time missionaries anymore who cannot learn the language. That's a good. Having said that, I think Chris and Anne are an example of being effective in the mission field without speaking the language fluently. Right. Uh, they have the gift of, of being adaptable to the culture, which goes often hand in hand with the language. Chris and Anna are outstanding in adjusting to the culture, learning the culture, and embracing the culture. That is very, very, very important. Because you do not come across as relatable if you are not deeply interested in the culture and then also pick it up. You have to pick it up. The language is the language is great, but but I think I don't know. Do you speak do you speak a second language? 
Greek. Greek, but only the okay. bad words. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, Rick. For folks that are moved by this conference or particularly this class, you say, I'd like to find out more, or I'm ready to go, or I'm ready to move, or how can I help even if I can't move? You know, are there recommendations on who to contact if not all of us are from the same church or family or churches? Yes. How do you recommend they talk to? Are there some cards or information where they could email certain ones of us who would like to know their existence yeah. if they're interested? Yeah. You, you can contact John, you can contact them, you can contact me, you can go to the, to the you can send an email to the EMS. However, however, the most important work you have to do yourself first. Because you have to find out what are the gifts that I have. You have to think about which country would I want to go to? You have to think about which country did I go to? Where do I have relatives? Where are my natural connections? <laughs> a lot of what Chris and Anne have done is build a grassroots network of relationships. The, the EMS can help with that. The European Mission Society can help with that. But what we cannot do is connect people and say, you guys need to talk to one another. That doesn't work. Right? One of the big surprises to us Americans when we go to the churches in Europe is that the, 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 the churches, the disciples, are not just sitting there waiting for somebody to come to help them. You have to come and show them right here right, that you want to be a friend. You want to you, you be together. You want to learn. Right? And, uh, and then one thing leads to the other, and then they realize, oh, Chris and Anne have a great marriage. Oh, we should have them do a, a, a marriage uh, uh, a seminar or, or retreat or something like that, right? It is, you're building f from a grassroots level often the best relationships. And if you pay attention to the way they describe it, the first thing was a vacation with the family somewhere. The family fell in love. The whole family fell in love with the Ukraine or with the right? That was the beginning. It wasn't that the EMS came to Chris and Anne and said, hey, can you go for three months a year to East that? No, no, no. That's not how it worked. They established themselves and suddenly we realized, wow, what a resource we have that we can, we can help support. Most of what they do today is self-support. And that's not that you are saying there is no money or we are not going to do that. I'm just saying that initiative, that dreaming, that thinking about your gifts, that's what you have to do yourself. Awesome. Agreed. Any, yeah. What do you like? What are your tips for um, or thoughts on relocating? That involve because you basically have to completely rebuild your career right. in another country. Right. right. That's a great question, and uh, you know, I'm coming from the business world, and I do a lot of uh, I, I help brothers and sisters with business advice. Look at your job as one of the gifts that one of the talents God has given you. Look at your career, your potential career, career as a gift that God has given you. Go to companies that are international. Go find out companies that allow you to maybe transfer to a place. Uh, you are killing 
five girls with one stone company that helps you to get into a country. You deal with, uh, with, with finances, you deal with visa issues, you deal with school, you deal with coming back, well, you deal with health insurance, you deal with all the issues that become very complicated if you have to do it yourself. So, use, look at your career. That, I know that doesn't apply to everybody, but look at your career and say, what, in what ways is my career useful for the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. That's a good question to ask. And then ask brothers and sisters who know about it. And ask them, you know, what could I do? And then go and explore most big companies are very interested in employees who are flexible with relocation. Mm. These employees who have a certain level of skill and, and, and of, of uh, competency. I ended up in the US because I was the only one in Germany uh, in my company uh, who wanted to go to the US. Uh, uh, and I was the Christian, I wasn't was a kingdom move at all. But the same, big companies think like that. If somebody who's flexible, uh, you, may, you may be in a small company, you may not have a wealth. Federal government doesn't require <laughs> 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 You'd be amazed. You make job changes. Make kingdom decisions. Right. Ask the question is my job change? Is there an opportunity for me to do that? But I may say, no, I'm not saying everybody has a kingdom job that allows him to relocate the mission field. Of course not. But ask that question. Ask the question, is, is there a kingdom opportunity for me in this job change? Or the younger people of you who take a year and decide what to study, who decide to go to college, who have an opportunity to work, uh, you know, foreign semester or something like that. Explore that and go for that. It's a great question, even if you don't see an open door. One quick word on that. A lot of the in Eastern Europe, um, I, well, I was in Budapest last week, and they said that the government just started an initiative to hire 8,000 people who have computer programming skills, and they're going to pay for everything, and they just want to increase their. A lot of these nations that are getting on their feet Warsaw, Budapest, um, Istanbul, those are incredible emerging markets that have great opportunities. Also, um, international schools is another place. Uh, embassy. If you're willing to live overseas, they, you know, you can work there, teach there, um, and it's actually they take very good care of you. Um, also, could be. I just also wanted to say, uh, Rick and Mary Nell, who are sitting up here front, they just spent almost a month also in Eastern Europe. So talk to John. Talk to them. If you're curious what that looks like, if you weren't able to get to Chris and Ann, there are people who are actually putting a lot of these things into practice. So it's a great opportunity to to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming. Okay.